Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. This is Andy Raymond Unfiltered, the Scott Sattler story. Previously, we spoke about the early years, the seagulls and the crushes. The story continues. Amazing that Royce saw you play in the flesh and called you the very next day. I can't imagine that happening in 2020. Everyone knows everyone's stats, strengths, weaknesses, personality traits. So much homework goes into recruitment. But Royce Simmons has just seen you play and said, okay, let's go. Yeah, and I think Melbourne Storm still do a fair bit of it now and a couple of other clubs do it really well as well. But what Royce and Mark Levy, the the uh, CEO back then, it was really old school. It was, we like the way you play, we'll fly you down. We'll get a gauge of you. We've been around the game long enough to yep. get a gauge what sort of person you are when I spent the day down there with them. Um, and from that, and I didn't have a manager when I played as well. You didn't? No, I, well, towards the end I did. I had a guy called Michael, by the name of Michael Searle. Yep. Um, who, and that's probably the last time I'll try and mention his name. Yeah, that's right. But, um, but he was my manager and um, I had to have a manager for the Penrith deal. Yeah. Because... They were offering me like three year contract, which I, you know, and, and money that I'd never sort of seen money, before. Yeah, yeah and it was so starting I, to get serious. It was, yeah, yeah, after Super League. So I thought, okay, well, and Michael was a really good uh, mate of mine back then. He yep. was a, a good teammate of the Gold Coast Seagulls as well, and always remained really good friends. He was an accountant by trade and was yep. looking after a lot of the world surfers on the tour as well. Okay, so um, so I asked him to break the deal, and and it got done really quickly, and it was a really exciting time in my life, and. Mm. You know, I, I got I got hammered a fair bit on the Gold Coast from the local media for doing it. Um, disrespectful, not loyal, left the Gold Coast twice now. But then in about three or four weeks after that, it got announced that the Gold Coast Chargers were no longer going to be in the competition. So made the decision pretty easy. A huge difference that three or four weeks makes and the tip-off from Tony Durkin. If you hang around and don't sign a Penrith contract in terms of being loyal to the, the Gold Coast, all of a sudden you become one of 30 guys that next morning looking for a contract. Well, the Adelaide Rams got kicked out as well. Yeah. So you're one, one of 60, 60, one of 70 guys. So, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of guys. I mean, Jamie Goddard, again, I'll use his, him and his example. He, he signed a contract. Clinton O'Brien, uh, former Origin front yep. he signed another contract at the Gold Coast. All of a sudden they were just looking for clubs. So it was, it was just turmoil at that stage. And um, it was fortunate enough for me that it was one of the smartest decisions I made. Amazing period in rugby league, and it, I find it increasingly difficult to accurately outline to anyone under 30 years of age just what a shit fight 1994 to 1998 oh, was. Yeah, you know, it broke friendships. Huge. Huge friendships. Yeah. I remember being at the crushes when Super League started coming, knocking down people's doors. I remember they knocked on my door. It was 11.45 one night. I said, can we have a chat about Super League? And because my dad was a staunch ARL man, I yeah. said, I'll listen to you, but what I'm telling you is that my family's ARL, so yep. I love Ken Arthurson, John Quayle, what they've done for my family over the years, but I'll listen to what you got to say. But, and the numbers they were throwing around were just phone book numbers. It was just ridiculous. You know, sign now, we'll give you $50,000. Know, sign a five-year contract for numbers like $400,000, $500,000. And you sort of think, 
It's ridiculous. This yeah. could set you up for the short-term future. Mm. But I signed with the ARL for a fridge. What? No, a fridge, yeah. <laughs> fridge. I got a fridge delivered to me from, um, I think it was <laughs> Better Electrical or <laughs> something like that. There was one of the NRL sponsors. might have been it was before Harvey Norman. Yeah. We were a major sponsor. Yeah, but I got a fridge for signing with the ARL. But, um, and I remember saying to my dad, he goes, what's going on with this Super League stuff? I said, it's crazy, Dad. You know, like, I said, what are you, you going to do? I said, well, I knocked back Super League. They were talking these sort of numbers, but I signed with the ARL because you're a staunch ARL man. He goes, you idiot. Really? <laughs> yeah. Idiot. But, yeah, well, I remember turning up to training and, and you'd talk to players and say, oh, did you hear about so-and-so just signed with Super League? And all of a sudden he just got ostracised from the group. Yeah. It was, a, it was one of the greatest forms of, of bullying and harassment that you've seen in the workplace. If your teammate had signed with the opposition, yeah. and vice versa, if they'd signed with the ARL, the Super League guys would just go, "Hey, what are you doing? Like, you're an idiot." So, um, yeah, it was really raw. It broke up a lot of friendships. I remember talking to Matty Johns and and Robert Finch and those sort of guys about what happened with the Hunter Mariners and Newcastle Knights, and mm. it's just what happened in the New- in Newcastle. Brutal. Just yeah, it was brutal. The irony is, you would go to the Panthers in '99. They were a Super League-affiliated side, and they'd go on to win the Premiership in 03. Now, it's often spoken about the group of exciting youngsters that came through at this time at the Panthers. What is often overlooked is the established core group of senior players of which you were a part of. It was a perfect mix in a rugby league football side. And you've got to have it, as you know. Yeah. You've been around footy teams and a lot of sports um, for a long time, AJ. Uh, the young guys taught the older guys how to win again. Yep. Uh, we saw that with this Penrith team this year. Um, not able to go that extra step in, in 2020, but set a really good platform for next year. But in saying that, in 99, we had a really good year, 99. Just missed out in the finals. And 2000, we, I think we finished fourth or fifth. 2001, wooden spoon. Huge turmoil in the club, mutiny in the club. Yep. A faction of players wanted to get rid of Roy Simmons and were successful in doing that. Yep. Hated the way that it happened. And say in hindsight, the way that it worked out with Johnny Lang was the right way. The way that it, happened, how it happened towards a really good man. Yeah. It was just horrible how it happened. It affected a lot of families. Mark Levy lost his job to CEO, the strength and conditions, the assistant coaches all it's lost their jobs. Times, it was, isn't it? And it's a brutal game, but it's, there's, there's got to be a way that it's not, it's not what happens, it's how you go about yeah. it. And I, I didn't like it at all. But uh, in don't any, worry, mate. I've lived that the last. Yeah, year. you're right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it is a brutal world. But in saying that, um, in 2002, um, we started seeing uh, this group of youngsters coming through from the, yep. the junior reps. Luke Lewis had played a game in 2001 as a 17 year old, and Luke Rooney as well. So Roy Simmons really set John Lang up for really good yeah. success. And and Trent Waterhouse, they're only 19 years of age, and. I was 17 or 18 years of age. And then 2002 came around, they played a little bit more footy and we, I think we finished second or third last. And then 2003, we just saw this shift after about five rounds. We're yep. still running second last after about four or five rounds. But we just saw this shift and we played the Warriors in New Zealand and we beat them really comfortably. And I remember yep. being on the bus going back to the hotel in Auckland and I remember saying to Gerds and, and Ryan Girdler and, and Craig Gower saying, we, we could make the finals this year a bad little team when we put it all together. Yeah. And, um, and anyway, uh, threat, what we started seeing emerging is that you turn up to training 
to do extras half an hour before regulation training yeah. time. And you'd see Luke Lewis and Luke Rooney at training doing extras and, sh- and, Steve, and Steve Turner and yep. Frank Pritchard and all these young players, they're all there doing these extras. And you go, oh, shit, I better get here tomorrow, 45 minutes early. Yeah. And then you'd finish training and you'd start doing some extras, some passing, some kicking, helping out some teammates. Yeah, Roddy, I'm going to collect the balls. I'm going to go in and have a shower and go home. And you look out back out in the field, same guys are out there doing more. So as an older player, you'd say, better stay out here. Yeah. So myself, guys like myself and um, Luke Prittis and, yep. um, and Gowie and, and um, Ryan Girdler, we'd stay out for a little bit longer. Just he'd, Gowie would do some more passing or Girdler would do a lot more goal kicking. Mm. So it taught us how to win again. And we get in games. I remember we we get in some games where we'd be, we'd be behind, and you just witness these these guys like Lewis and Rooney and Shane Rodney and Luke Swain. They'd just be fighting for every little inch on the yeah. game, and you go, and you've, they made you feel guilty. They guilted you into being being better, a better version of yourself. And these kids had only played five or ten first grade games, so it was quite amazing the the transformation that. And in the end, we sort of went eight in, a, eight in a row. We found it really hard to lose at stages in games yep. and got smacked in the ass a couple of times on the way to the finals, which we needed. And then, um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing, it was an amazing transformation from 01 to 02 into 603. Yep. What do you recall of the grand final, the premiership, the emotion, the experience? Can't remember much of the game. Really? No. I remember it was silent. There was 84,000 people. I remember it was silent pretty much the whole game. Couldn't hear anything at all. I don't know what that, that focused. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what that is. I've never been able to explain it. But I'll go back a week. I've got goosebumps singing about it now. The art of John Lang. Yeah. Well, half time we we're walking out for the second half against the Warriors for the grand final qualifier, and we we're leading, not by much. And John Lang, and you can never remember what the coach says at half time. Yep. And I remember John Lang saying, before you go out, because he was a short guy, I remember he stood up on a chair. He said, before you go out, and he always had a water bottle or a bottle of Coke in his hand. And he said, before you go out there, I want you to think of one thing. What you do in the next 40 minutes decides whether you're sitting on your couch watching two other teams play in a grand final or you're standing for a national anthem. You make the decision. What a line. So we walked out and we... We're pretty convincing in the second half. I went to a grand final and, and uh, on the Monday we turned up for training, AJ, and I'll never forget it. He said, you know, this week there's going to be a lot of media. There's going to be a lot of media, a lot of appearances, yeah. footy show, grand final breakfast, radio, TV. I want you to do it all. I just want you to soak up the atmosphere. I just want you to, to experience everything that what is grand final. What a final. positive outlook. Because he always used to use the example of Danny Lee and Andrew Eddingshausen, yep. two of his favourite players, never got to win grand finals. So um, we did. And he, our game plan was we're playing a great team. I can't see any weaknesses yeah. at all. I don't know how we can beat them. He said, but they run hard and they tackle hard. So our game plan is we're going to run harder and tackle harder. So let's just go and enjoy the week. And it settled our young players that really well. Awesome. What do I remember about the grand final itself? I remember Craig Gow's speech. Never spoke before a game, Craig Gow. Even as captain? No. Just used to lead by action. Yeah. But he just said, I'm, as a Penrith boy, I'm so proud to lead the jersey that I grew up loving out on the grand final day. I hope we can just do it all together. Yeah. And I remember Tony pulled to a crying next to me after he 
after Craig Yow spoke. And then in the game, I remember the national anthem. I remember Troy Casadaly sang the national yeah. anthem and I wanted to go shake his hand because I was a massive <laughs> fan, but it was pouring rain. They rushed him off the stage. Um, but can't remember too much of the game. I can remember the game itself. Um, it was about – I can remember vividly. It's a 60-second minute. We were leading 12-6. Yep. And I thought that we'd done all we can to win the game, but we were starting to run out of gas. And I thought, how much longer can we hold on? It's a long 18 minutes. I said, I don't know how much longer we can hold on mm. here. And, um, and then Martin Lang, who'd been knocked out twice that game, one by Jason Kalis, another one by Luke Rickardson, knocked out cold, got back off the canvas and just kept running into the defensive line. And he ran onto this ball and they come out of the line again to try and hit him. And they both hit him at once, but both the Roosters players, I think Mick Crocker was one of them, and they both just pinballed off him and hit the ground and he kept running. And I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, they're not going to beat us tonight. So I can remember that. I can remember that moment vividly. Wow. Yeah. Any elite athlete will tell you it takes more than just being physically fit to be at your best. And our friends at Galaxy Finance can have you at the top of your financial game. From home loans to investments and self-managed super funds, they provide complete solutions. Call Galaxy Finance on 1300 917740 and mention you heard it on Andy Raymond Unfiltered to get an obligation-free chat to see how Galaxy Finance can assist you. The most asked question in your career, that tackle? We have giggles about it across the years, and we're going to get into that. But it's special. It's, it's one of those moments. You look back now, you're proud of it? I'm proud of it, not because I thought it was a big moment in the game, because still to this day I don't think it was, because, um, and I'll tell you why. Wow. Special to me individually because it was my last game for Penrith. Yeah. And from a friend's point of view, I love going out to Penrith and, and still being welcomed out there. Yep. Um, and whether it's because of that, um, I'm, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to live with that. It was special for me because people were talking about it after the game and that my father got a, had an iconic moment in the grand final. Yeah. People still talk about our one in 03 or my one in 03. So to have a father-son, so that's a selfish view of it. Beautiful, yeah. Um, from a team point of view, John Lang's first meeting with me in the pre-season of 2002 he met with me, AJ, and he said, as a lock forward, I want you to play old school. I want you to play Ron Coote um, style. And what I want Cover you to defense. do is if the ball is on the other side of the ruck to play the ball on tackle five yep. and you're on the other side of the field, he said, I just want you to – because you used to give me a roving. when The number 13s now, they play in the middle. They're like a yep. third sort of front row. Exactly right. So I was allowed to roam all around the field. So on this – at this time, I was on the opposite side of the field. He said, on the fifth tackle when the kick's going to go, I just want you to just start heading in behind. He used to always say, just in case you needed. Wow. So from every training session from that moment on to that last game that I played at Penrith, I did that every day and every game. And it was the last game that I played that it was, that it was needed. So for me, it wasn't That's a big cool. thing because Johnny Lang had prepared me for it. People say that it was a... It was a huge turning point in the game. I still don't think it was. Um, I still think there were turning points in that match. Where I, you know, like the, the Martin Lang run, yep. run where I thought that you know, we, were, we just sort of had their measure. Fittler's gone after it. Then he scoops the ball away to Byrne. Byrne puts on a fend. Then he puts- 
you will ever see in any game. Unbelievable. What the pick-up by Fittler. A flying winger. And only one man, one man standing between the try line, a try to the Roosters, and it's Scott Sattler. Inside story time. And I'll preface this by saying there is a massive difference between a smart-ass who gets a big head and gloats and a bloke that genuinely enjoys playing with his mates, having a laugh, and that is you. And there's a good core group of mates around you, myself included, that still giggle about that tackle whilst you talk it up and you talk yourself up. Now, you can't tell lies here, (laughs) and we have termed you Mr. 54th Minute. It's nice we can look back and have a giggle all these years later. You know what, I think think we play in an era now where you can uh, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Have a bit of a piss take. That's right. If you did it back in the 60s, 70s or 80s, you would have got put back in your place. Yeah. So I'm fortunate that if you, you have a bit – if you make fun of yourself, which you do and, and Gordy Tallis and yep. you know, a few of the boys are always you – know, Gordy always calls me shit tackle. And, um, <laughs> or he calls me uh, John Jr. But, um, but in saying that, it's, I think you've got to be able to take the piss out of yourself. And I do. I take the piss out of myself. And- absolutely. Do you recall the night we were commentating together at Penrith and I yes. pretended there was a stadium light in <laughs> yes. my eyes, so I stuck a piece of paper up on the commentary <laughs> box window facing the crowd. I'd written, Mr. 54th Minute on Is that it. Penrith Stadium? Yeah. <laughs> you were unaware and the fans were turning around and looking and pointing and giving you the thumbs up all night. You had no idea. Uh, good mates. Who needs enemies when you've got friends oh, like you? Hey? Brutal. <laughs> Mate, six clubs in total, 118 games for the Panthers, more than twice what you played at any other club. If I had to ask you, you consider yourself a Panther? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. I, I, love, I love the club. You know, I was fortunate to play over 200 games, and, they, and a lot of it was through perseverance. You know? but I, when I, I, I would have loved to have played over 200 games for the Gold Coast, to be quite honest. You know, that was my home club, and I just would have loved to have uh, just stayed there my whole career, wasn't to be. And I do regard myself a Panther because I, I just love the club. I love the community. The community was so good to myself and my family. Still got some really good friends uh, from, from Penrith that I, yep. that I still contact today and, and still in regular contact. So I do regard myself a, a Panther and, and still call the footy now, you know, on radio. And any time I get a game in Penrith, I always fly down a lot earlier than I normally would. And I always get out there a lot earlier, and I go to all my old haunts, uh, all, all my old haunts, which is, um, you know, the, the guy that used to always get a hair, the barber used to, he's still yep. there, Khalid. I'm still going to get a haircut off him if I, if I go to Penrith. Oh, cool. um, big Muzzers sandwiches. I always go to get yeah. big Murray's, Murray's sandwiches in, in High Street and Penrith. So I, anytime I get a chance to get out there, I, I do. 03, also a year you're rewarded for your footy at rep level, state of origin selection. How did you find out you'd made the Queensland side? I was standing at my son's school. He was in kinder at that stage. It was a year before you go to grade one. Yep. And my, one of my very best friends, Clinton O'Brien, rang me. Yep. And he said to me, congratulations. I said, what for? He said, you're in the Queensland side. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're in the origin side for a game too. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, has no one called you? I said, no. He said, yeah, you just been named. I said, what position? He goes, I'm not quite sure. They just they mentioned you as the second oldest person since Arthur Beetson to debut. I went, 
Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I didn't know how to – then my son came out who was a mad rugby league fan. My my son learned how to read by reading a big league magazine. Yeah. You know, and um, and he came and he said – I said, guess what? He said, what? I said, Daddy made Queensland side. And he said, what number? Because he's all about numbers, yeah. my young bloke. And I said, I don't know yet. He goes, oh, I hope your number, whatever. You know, it's like – so I went home. I remember going home and there was a message on the message answering machine. Remember yep. the old time you had the old answering machine? It's from the QRL saying, oh, Scott, it's, it's um, uh, Des Morris here, head of selectors, just to say that you've been selecting the Queensland side. So please give us a call. So I um, only got to play one, AJ, which as a 31-year-old is like playing 10. Yeah. Also frustrates you when you sort of say, oh, why couldn't I play more? Yep. I, th- you know, I thought my form was good enough over the years at Penrith that I, I could have. But in saying that, it is what it is and got to live a life, life, lifelong dream. I remember as a kid, I was 12, I went and bought a – I saved enough money up working in the pubs with Dad. At 12, I went down to the local sports store and I bought a Queensland jersey and an Australian jersey. And my dad made me take them back. He said, you don't buy those things, son, you earn them. And so I remember wow. ringing Dad and saying, Dad, guess what? I just got my first Queensland jersey. So it was pretty cool. How cool was that phone call to the, to the folks? Yeah, it was – I remember Dad cried. Yeah. Uh, I remember Mum saying, oh, about time, and then – but Dad cried. He was really, really emotional about it all, and um, and then the, you know the next ten days was even at thirty-one years of age, Andy, and we're halfway through a season which looked like being a pretty good season for Penrith. The next ten days was one of the greatest educations in rugby league I ever had. Wayne Bennett as coach mm. didn't learn much from Wayne at all, which is the way Wayne coaches. Yep. But to watch, watch the way Gordy prepared. Watched the way that Darren Lockyer prepared. Um, it just is, and Shane Webke and Petro Sivanasiva and those sort of guys. I sort of just sat back and I really absorbed everything about what they did. Was it everything you dreamed of? And more, yeah, and more. I remember looking up at the, remember looking up at the. I remember my jersey walking into the ANZ Stadium and the jersey it wasn't hanging up. I remember sitting down and Steve Walters, as team manager, came out. Actually, Bobby Lindner presented me with my jersey. And and he gave me my jersey, and I was I remember seeing it, just looking at my name on the back of it, thinking, "Well, this is amazing! Like, mm. this real?" And and then running out, I've never felt hate like it. And then standing there, and when New South Wales ran out, I'd never felt my body shake as much as hearing the New South Wales fans when New South Wales ran out in Aiden's Head Stadium, led by Joey and uh, no Danny Badiris was, and um, Joey played, but it was it was. Um, Frightening what what my body went through. I remember looking up at the first time I looked up at the um, up at the scoreboard, the time, and there was a minute and a half to go, and it felt like it'd been ten minutes. It was it was brutal, absolutely brutal. The West Tigers were recruiting in '03 for the '04 season. Why the move? Because you were settled and you were killing it. Salary cap. Uh, I was in Origin. Um, I remember we're up at. Uh, up at this, we're up at Springbrook, up in the, the hinterland of the Gold Coast at, a camp, at the Corrigan camp. And I remember Gordy reading out, well, as Gordy used to always do because he's the loudest in the room. Yeah. He's reading out the headlines in the sport. And everyone's going, shut up, shut up. Then he said, Sats, you're going to South. I went, what? He goes, oh, it's got here that you're going to the Rabbitohs. I went, what are you talking about? So I remember reading it and saying that Penrith won't be able to fit me under the salary cap. I'm 31. They've got all these young players coming through. And that's how you. 
found out? Well, at the start of the year, Shane Richardson, who, mind you, was a really good friend of mine today. Yeah. And back then was a really good CEO as well. He turned Penrith around yep. off the field as well. And But he said to me at the start of the year, if you have a good year by sort of May, June, if you're going really well, we'll have another couple of year contract for you. And I was going really well. It was mm. one of my best seasons. And then to make Origin sort of represents that you're going okay. Yeah. I didn't think they anticipated the young guys going that well. Okay. Is what they did. So they had to upgrade a lot of those. And, and that's the way that I learnt. And then when I got back from Origin, I went and had a meeting with John Lang. I said, do you want me here? He said, yeah, I do, but I don't control the finances. So I met, had a meeting with Shane Richardson. He said, I can offer you something, but it's going to be embarrassing. And so I said, well, just offer me something. I don't want any more. I just what I've, what I've been on. And he said, or a little bit less, I don't care. And he just said, um, he said, I'll show the offer. He wrote it. I remember he wrote it down on a scrap piece of paper and he pushed it across the table to me. And it, it was, it was, it that wasn't was enough to live on. And I just sort of thought, I put it this way, it wasn't six figures. And I thought, oh. okay, well, um, I, as you know, I've got a young family. I can't. Yep. He said, no, this is why I'm telling you that I want to do everything I can, but we probably won't be able to fit you under the salary cap. So, so South and the West Tigers and Bradford in England had, had, um, Made some inquiries, and Roy Simmons was at West Tigers. Yeah, but I always loved watching Tim Sheen's coach sides Raiders, and so I thought makes sense with Royce. He's one of my very good friends. After he finished coaching, I love playing under Royce, but I want to, I want to be coached by Tim Sheen's as yeah. well. So to go there was a natural fit. I was yep. never going to go to South. I definitely wasn't going to get England at that stage, and. I ended up at the West Tigers, and I tell you what, I, was, I signed for two years. Yep. And one of my most, one of my favourite seasons. Yeah. Two thousand four, and had and unfortunately, my knee didn't allow me to play two thousand five. I remember Tim Sheen's ringing me um, through November, December of t- at the end of two thousand four, when I sort of said about six games to go. I told uh, Tim that I couldn't play any longer. After the season, I finished the rest of the season, but I wouldn't be able to go through another pre-season training. He rang me in December. I remember I was cleaning my friend's pool on the Gold Coast, and Tim Sheen's name came up. He said, are you sure you don't want to come back? He'd come back, we'll monitor your training. Uh, only train one day a week. You'll be the captain. And I said, mate, I'm not going to do that to you. I told you to use my money for the younger guys, which they yeah. did, Dean Hallatow and Liam Fulton, those sort of guys. Um, and if I can't train the whole week, I don't play well. So I'd, I'd just be a passenger, Tim. Well, they went and won the comp, didn't they? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't the best decision. Do you regret that decision now? Now, in my body now, yeah. I do. At the time, no. Because I remember when he rang, I went and put a pair of sand shoes on. I said, listen, I'll give you a call this back this afternoon. I went yeah. and put my running shoes on and I went for a run. Just and to I, test the knee. Yeah. And I got probably 500 metres into the run. And I just, I was walking horribly after it. So I just thought, no, I wouldn't be able to do it. You're a Gold Coast boy. You're one of the faces, movers, and people integral in the submission of the Titans and the admission of the Titans. I would imagine, because it's rugby league, which isn't always a normal industry, that that period of your life was probably busier than anyone could or would imagine and an enormous roller coaster of emotion. Will we make it? Won't we make it? What was it like when you did make it? Amazing. Um, it was on the day that Chappelle Corby got found guilty. 
I'll never forget because it didn't dominate the headlines. Chappelle Corby did being a Gold Coast girl. That's right. Yeah. So I'll never forget. Um, it, it was a, you know, when I retired. John Carroll was going to be the coach, and Michael Searle then at that stage was still a very good friend of mine. Mm. But he'd always said to me, "I want you to play some role when you retire." John Carroll came to me and said, "I want you to be the strength and conditioner," which I thought about, and I thought I was always going to join the police force. Yep. Um, but then I thought about it and I thought, no, I wouldn't mind giving another couple of years in the game and see how I go. Um, finished in 2004, went straight into what, they, what was then called the Gold Coast NRL bid up against Central Coast, yes. John Singleton. And um, really impressive bid. I'll, I'll give Michael Searle one thing. He can put together a bid team. And, is, and then about four or five months into it, I was, in, I was enjoying the operational side of it. I said, can I be general manager of footy? And I'll find another strength and conditioner for you. And he said, yeah, no worries. So then I was in, in the role of recruiting players and we were signing players without even having a club. We signed Preston Campbell and Luke Bailey without even a club. Didn't even have a license. And they signed with our club in the event that we did. And um, when, we got the, when we got the word in, in um, May 2005 for the 2007 season, I remember we were, we were all standing in the office and we knew that Michael Searle was on the phone to David Gallup. And he walked out. I'll never forget, he walked out, opened the door, he walked out and he said, and he clapped his hands together in front of him, he said, we're in. I went, we all said, all cheered, celebrated, all said, so what, what do we do now? Yeah. Well, now it's in overdrive. We just got to sign as many players as possible and get as many sponsors as we can. So yeah, we were fortunate we had a really we had a great place to come and live. Yep. Our recruitment tool was players getting off the plane to talk to them about signing with the club. And straight away we'd take them from Coolangatta Airport straight out to Kira. And we'd drive all along the coastline from Great postcard. Oh, Kira all the way up to a golf course. Which for a lot of them we used this golf course called the Villa. Yeah. And we used to take them to this golf course overlooking this beautiful private golf course and we'd talk turkey with them there. Yeah. Most, most times often than not, by the time they got on the plane, they'd signed a letter of intent and we were able to amass a really good side. So it was an exciting time on the Gold Coast because it was professionally done. A period of instability since, yeah. sadly. Uh, it's been a period of change, a period of controversy at times. It certainly hasn't been easy. You're no longer officially with the club. Does it give you a great deal of satisfaction over the last six to 12 months, seeing that finally they appear to be headed in the right direction? Yeah, it, it, I do. I do. At, during, during a middle period there when you know, there were blue-collar workers that, were, that weren't um, being paid you know, the money that was owed yep. for the, you know, building the Centre of Excellence, um, seeing a lot of families hurt, and then the off-field drug saga, it just from one situation to another, bad recruiting, Became a again yep. it became a graveyard for players. Um, I I actually fell out of love with the club. Yep. To be honest, um, I fell out of love for the club there for a while there when I left, and I didn't want I didn't ever want to leave. I wanted I still would love to be in that job today. Because yep. I just I'd loved being part of the, the inaugural years of that Titans mm-hmm. franchise. And but when they got some really good leaders in there, some good community leaders. Um, Rebecca Fazell and Daryl Kelly and Co. And then, you know, they signed uh, Justin Holbrook, who, you know, I spent some time with at Penrith and know how much of a quality human being he is. Yep. I just knew they were going to make some really good decisions. 
and the important roles and the way that Justin engages not only the media, the community, but also his infectious personality with the players. Yep. You can just see the immediate results. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to look at them as a club and say that I think in years to come they're going to be they're going to be quite a successful club. I think. Do you want to be involved in rugby league again, or is that chapter in your life closed? Uh, no, I. I was conceived in a dressing shed, AJ. I would, even though I'm still involved in rugby league on a week to week basis, calling the game, which yep. I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, for SEN, I just absolutely love it. Mm. Would I like to be involved at an administration level? Absolutely. Yeah, I. I think the one. I think the one skill that I have always been able to have is is in operations, but also yep. um, from a talent identification and recruitment point of view. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'll never say never. I'd like to think that I'd still be involved at some stage in the coming years. A wonderful career. Equally as wonderful as the fact you're a, a great ambassador for rugby league on and off the field. Mr. 54th Minute, you, <laughs> sir, are a legend. Thanks, AJ. Great to be here, mate. Good to see you again. A new episode of the Legend series drops every Tuesday and the weekly Wodge every Thursday. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and follow us on social media at The Andy Raymond. Then, you won't miss a thing. Come back soon. Legends.